we're going to read Matthew 6. Uh, this is the text. There's a couple different places where Jesus gives this uh, prayer. But I've been using the Matthew passage, and there's a few different reasons for it. But I, I like the language of it, and I like how Jesus gets into the prayer. Uh, there's another version in Luke where they ask Jesus, hey, teach us how to pray. And Jesus responds, and he gives them the prayer. But in this version, I like, I like the, the, how, it, how it kind of brings us into it because it gives us some background, and it explains some tension that was around that question that they're asking. So when the disciples say, teach us how to pray, there was a tension around that that Matthew helps us to see, and I think that tension helps us to understand this prayer, and then it helps us to integrate this prayer into our lives. It kind of gives us the why of why we should say, teach us to pray. It, it, it gives us a little bit of a background on why some of us still struggle to pray, no matter how much we pray or how good of a prayer we think we might be. We all still tend to have some struggles of prayer, and I think this helps to explain that because it reveals some reality of human nature for us. So listen to this, and then we're going to get into this this morning. It says, and when you pray, so this is Jesus talking, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Now, so he begins right away. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. And we've talked about um, the idea of what a hypocrite is and, and why that word is important. Um, the word really just simply means be, don't be like the actors, don't be like the fakes. Um, Jesus is saying there are these people who tend to be faking their way through faith. And sometimes I think about it and I think, I don't, I don't think it's as... Um, such a negative statement that we sometimes make it. Sometimes I think what we do is we look at that and Jesus is saying, hey, don't be like the hypocrites. We think, oh, those awful, evil hypocrites, right? We get mad at these hypocrites. And I think the sense here is more, I kind of feel bad for for how they look at prayer. But I also also understand where they're coming from. So so listen to what he says about them. So don't, don't be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, to be seen by others. And truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father in heaven who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words." And again, we kind of go, who babbles on like pagans? Is this a problem in the modern age? I mean, frankly, to call somebody a pagan does seem kind of weird in today's society, but I want us to back up, remember the ancient text, see what we're reading here, see what Jesus is trying to say. Don't babble on like the pagans. Well, apparently the pagans were babbling, they had a reason they were babbling, and they were missing out on a beautiful part of prayer that Jesus didn't want us to miss out on. And so we'll figure out what that means. So he goes on, he says, when you pray, do not babble like pagans. For they think they will be heard, there's our key phrase, they think they will be heard because there are many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. See, the way that Jesus talked about prayer then, we see a couple things that are going on here that are so important for us. And I've talked about this over the past couple weeks, but I want to reiterate this. So if you've heard some of this, it's good to be reminded of what's happening here. Some people, apparently, as Jesus talks about these hypocrites, they reveled in the performance of prayer. They wanted to be seen and heard. They wanted to be told that they give the best prayers. And this sort of seems weird because it, it, it just seems strange to us, right? 
They, they want to stand up. They want to be like, you gave such a great prayer. It's kind of like a pastor. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. When you finish a sermon, it's great when somebody comes up and they're like, pastor, that was the best sermon I have ever heard you preach. And I'm like, now, brother, listen, I heard you say that like, you know, last time. It, does, it, does it get exponentially better? I appreciate that. That means a whole lot. But Jesus is saying, if you're just saying and you're looking and going, boy, that was a really good prayer. But you really nailed that prayer today. He's like, if that's all they're looking for, then that's all they're going to get. And as a pastor, from a performative standpoint, right, as from, a, from a, I want to do a good job when I talk, I want to be able to make sure that I keep people's attention. I mean, you're sitting in metal chairs, for goodness sakes. I want you to, to I, want, I want to applaud that sacrifice, you know, by saying, hey, you know, I want you to walk away and go, I, that was worth sitting in a metal chair. It was worth it to, to hear what Ryan had to say today. That's a good reason. But if that was all the reason that I preached, was to have someone say, hey, good job. You did an excellent job. If that was all, well, then I'd get my reward because I would have people say, good job. But this is why so many pastors, I think, desire to be stand-up comedians because they just want to hear somebody say, good job, you're really funny. You're really not, but we'll say it anyways, right? But there's something deeper going there. So you don't just want the reward. And that's what Jesus is saying. These people are praying, and they want people to know, they want people to go, you did a great job praying today. Now, why did they want to do a great job praying? See, this is the next level questions we always need to be asking of the text. Were they praying just because they wanted the show and they got their reward or is there something else going on? Well, there is something else going on. It's not just that they wanted a pat on the back. It's not just that they wanted people to be like, that guy is one professional prayer. He should be in the National Professional Prayers League. That is so fantastic. Like there's more going on here and this is it. It has everything to do with how people prayed and why they prayed and the way that they prayed in the ancient world because if their prayers were bad prayers, things weren't going to go so well for them. And here's why. The gods of the ancient world, the gods of the ancient world were mysterious. The gods of the ancient world were angry. They were distant. You didn't know if they were listening. So when Jesus says, don't be like the pagans who keep babbling on, because they think they will be heard because of their many words. He's saying, if I just keep talking and talking and talking and talking, and I keep praying and praying and praying and praying, and I, can, and I can name all these names and attributes of God, and don't think that we don't get in trouble in Christianity with this too, right? Have these people, that they're like, well, I know all the ancient names of God and the way that they would say things. So you know, somebody comes out and you know, they start praying and Lord Jesus, Adonai. You're like, Adonai, what are you? Now, that's a great name of God. Or then they start bouncing into Jehovah Jireh or something, and people are like, Jive what now? Like, what's happening? People were doing this. They would begin, and these names are good names. Those, games, those are names of God. Those point out attributes of God. But let's be honest. We've heard people try to name all these things. We've heard people try to add all these prayers. We do this in Christianity. We say, oh, Dear, gracious, good, and merciful. And they just keep piling on, right? It's okay to do in some capacity. There's a good reason to, behind us. We're trying to talk about who God is. But Jesus recognized this reality. There was a problem here. 
that, that people were babbling on and adding because they were trying to wake the gods up because they had a theological understanding about the gods that nobody was listening. And if I don't pray right, if I don't say the right things, if I don't add all these names, if I don't wake God up, God is not listening to me. So in response, because the gods were mysterious and angry and distant, these prayers began to be recited in public, complex and confusing. And the people who offered them would pile on these names and attributes, hoping that they would wake them up. And so praying, in that case, was probably best left to professionals. I want the guy who knows how to pray and add all these names and do all these things to wake up the God so the God will listen to me. I'm going to have that guy pray. So it becomes this professional thing. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. And he looks around, he looks at this, and he says, no, 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 no. Don't be like hypocrites. Don't be like pagans. Don't pray to be seen by anybody. Go in your private place, in a, in a, in a closet, shut the door. Don't let anybody see you, which is a huge reminder for us. We have a culture of people that want to be seen praying, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The faithful prayers are done in quiet. The faithful prayers are the ones that are done in the quiet of the morning, the evening day. Nobody's paying attention. And it's you in prayer. He says that, that is what prayer is all about. So he goes on, he says, listen, there's a different way to pray. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus began this prayer with saying, listen, God is already listening. He's already listening. You don't have to wake him up. He's a loving God, a loving father. And then he moves on and he says, and his name is hallowed. And we had a great discussion with the youth about this, that his name is holy. And how we talked about this was that God is a loving father who is big enough and strong enough to hold us among anything we face. Now, don't get those backwards. He didn't say, God is holy, but he also loves you. He says, no, 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 God is a heavenly father who knows what you need before you ask. Oh, by the way, he is holy and strong enough to handle anything you face. And then Jesus connects this next phrase because hallowed means to hallow God's name. So when I say, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, I am saying, may I hallow your name. May I make your name holy. And so we honor God's name by inviting God to work in and through us, asking them this next phrase, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Simply put, we are to pray that we would live in such a way, and listen to this, don't miss this part, that God's peace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his justice, and his love would be experienced by people around us. Let me just say that again, because I think this is such a key part of this prayer. We just miss this so easy. And this is what the kids, this is why I started to cry and why I was like, man, guys, you got it. That they were praying that we would live in such a way that others would experience the love of God, the peace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the justice of God, that we have experienced our relationship with him. May we then, as that pours into us, pour out on this world, and then his will is done. What is God's will? God's will is love and mercy, and justice, and forgiveness, and grace. And none of those things are done with control and power. All of those things are done with sacrifice and love. 
me hear, let me say that again. I want to repeat this. I want to make sure it's clear. God's will is not done through control and power. God's will is done through sacrifice and love. And so then with that, after we get all of that, and I think that's why we spent several weeks on that, because if we get that wrong, we miss everything else about this prayer. We can miss every single thing. If we get that right, though, it then turns the corner, and then it invites us to this part of the prayer. So Jesus then invites us to pray. Give us today our daily bread. She gives us all of this content, all of this stuff, and then turns the corner to this simple phrase, six words in the English language. Give us today our daily bread. Well, this must be simple. It's Jesus. There's going to be some complication here. There's going to be some stuff that we're going to pull out from here that we're going to begin to see. Bread is made up of three things, right? Grain, water, yeast. There's all sorts of other things you could do. My wife does baking, so I'm sure she could challenge me on some things about baking, about bread. But right, if you have grain, water, and yeast, you can make some bread. And I want you to hear this, that the combination of these three things is what makes bread bread, right? This is what makes bread bread. So the same thing is true of what Jesus is saying here. Give us today our daily bread. The combination of some different concepts, the combination of some different ideas in the scriptures are what makes this part of the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, what it is. So this is one of those passages where the best thing we can do is begin to grab it, understand the context around it, but pull it, look at it, ask questions, flip it, turn it, twist it, find all the different angles to this. Because if we do that, all of a sudden we're going to have a deeper understanding that is not just for us to say, I understand this prayer at a deeper level than other people may understand it. Okay, then you're a hypocrite, and we just talked about that, didn't we? Instead, the idea is I have a deeper understanding of this prayer because it convicts, it moves in my heart in a different way, it challenges me. I want you to walk away from understanding and going, wow, that's what, that's what I needed. That's what I, I need to be reminded of. And so then as you pray this and you put this in your own words, you make this a part of your life and you begin to pray it. There, there are traditions that would pray this prayer twice a day as a reminder. And imagine how that would change your heart and change your mind if you began to pray like that. So let's look and see, what are the angles of this prayer? What's going on here about give us today our daily bread? As we look deeper in this, I want to turn to a different story. I want to turn to the book of John. And it's a, it's a story from the life of Jesus that I think helps us to understand the combination of what's happening here. So John 6, we're going to pick this up in verse 5, so we're a little further in the story, but listen to what it says. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among the many? John is a wonderful writer. 
And John has a way of bringing us the story in the language in a really beautiful way. But I want you to hear the arguments of the disciples as they're talking about this. And I want you to try to think about this in the context of your own conversations that you may have at home with someone. Jesus, how in the world are we going to buy bread for all these people? Let's cut and run. Let, let's, just, let's just go. It, it would probably be a better idea. In fact, Jesus, it would take a year's wages, and uh, I'm not really interested in contributing because you're going to ask all of us to give to get them bread. The shop is, you know, all the way that direction. What if we can't even get there. I say we just jump in a boat, get across the lake, get away from these people. That's probably the answer, right? Andrew, Simon Peter's, Simon Peter's brother speaks up. Hey, man. <laughs> Here... Here's a kid, he's got five barley loaves, two small fish. I sort of wonder if anybody looks at him and they're just like, really? Because then he changes his tune, right? He's like, hey, here's a kid. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's not really going to go very far, is it? I'll just, I'll just sit down over here. And then it goes on. And Jesus says, have the people sit down. All right, don't give me your excuses. Don't give me your arguments. Just, just everybody sit down and just watch this. There was plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. About 5,000 men were there. So what, maybe 12, 15,000 people total when we add in some the women and children. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, as much as they needed. Jesus Fed them bread. He did the same with the fish. When they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So, again, in this miracle, the giant crowd that we read about was in the middle of nowhere. There was no way to get enough bread for them. And even if they had what they needed to buy it, they couldn't have gotten the bread. It's easy for us to look at, well, there's 5,000 men, they'll get over it. But then there's women and there's, there's kids and they're hungry and they're in need. And Jesus, filled with compassion, looks at this crowd and says, I'm not going to leave them hungry. So Jesus instead provided, and don't miss this, real bread for hungry people through this miracle. It's easy to turn this into a spiritual story and to miss the reality that Jesus fed real hungry people real bread because they had real want and real need. He met the need that they had in a physical way by giving them what they needed to survive. And that's part of the meaning of the daily bread in this prayer. The, the word for daily, which, which unfortunately, it, it just doesn't translate really well into English. It, just, it, just, it doesn't translate uh, directly over very well. So the word we end up using is something like daily, but there's a lot more going on here. It means something like essential. It means necessary. One thing could be, give us that bread which we can't survive without. I need that to survive. 
This dimension to prayer leads us to recognize this need in our own lives, in our needs of others. So when we hear the story, when we see Jesus saying this, and we see Jesus saying, I see this crowd, I see that they are hungry, I see that they have need, I'm going to give them real bread. He didn't look at the crowd and go, gentlemen, I would like to teach you the fine art of thoughts and prayers this morning. He could have looked at his disciples and he could have said, I'm going to show you something that's going to happen in 2,000 years. This thing called Facebook and this thing called Twitter is going to be created. And people are going to get props from other people and they're going to smack them on the back and say good job because they gave excellent thoughts and prayers. Jesus did not do that. Jesus did not teach them the fine art of thoughts and prayers. Now, there is nothing wrong with thoughts and prayers for people. But thoughts and prayers are supposed to challenge us to go the next step and take care of very real needs of very real people. At the end of this last year, a missionary friend of ours who was in Hungary told of the incredible need that they had right across the border in Ukraine. He was taking daily trips from Budapest up into Slovakia then across into the Ukraine. And he sent this video, man, and it just grabbed my heart. And I looked at my friend and I thought, man, that is the Lord's work right there. He is packing a van, he is going to a war-torn country, and he is taking care of people's needs. And I said, oh, I, can't just sit, I cannot just sit here and say, hey, everybody, this is a missionary that we've supported in the past. Would you give him your thoughts and prayers? I said, no, we are absolutely going to support him. And so we sent some money from Southeast from our budget over to them so they could buy things that they need. And it's not, it, it barely, it, it just barely begins to scratch the surface because it's, the, it's just the absolute incredible need. But the last thing we should do is go, well, I hope somebody does something about that. Instead of recognizing we have the ability to partner with people who are doing something and we have the opportunity and the responsibility to look around and recognize the needs in our very own communities, our neighbors and our families and say, how can I meet the needs of these people around me? Give us this day our daily bread is a, is a prayer of plurality, our daily bread. And if my daily bread is met, it is my responsibility to meet the needs of the daily bread of those around me. That is the call of Jesus. When we have more than enough, we pray that God would use us to meet others' needs. Now, the early church needed this reminder, too. We find this instruction. This is in a letter called uh, James. This is the book of James. James chapter 2, it says this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed. If one of you says, may God be with you, thoughts and prayers but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That cannot be any clearer. James is looking at a bunch of people that are using thoughts and prayers to selfishly get away without doing anything for people in need. He says, absolutely not. Then your faith is dead. It's very clear that we as followers of Jesus are to be generous and provide for the needs of others. Now, let's go back to the John passage, though, because we see in the John passage that Jesus fed the hunger crowd with very real bread, but then a few verses later, the crowd comes back again the next day looking for more food, and I want you to see what he does because now we're going to tie some pieces together. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? 
Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He calls them out. Look, you're hungry. I get it. I get it. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires us? Jesus answered, The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they keep coming back to him saying, well, give me more. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, it is not, it is not as if Jesus all of a sudden said, Oh, back for more. I guess I better change my teaching. I guess I messed up. That is not what Jesus is doing here. If there were people in very real need, we know that Jesus would feed those people. Jesus wants to continue this teaching and see there's something else going on here. He says, look, your responsibility, all your excuses you want to give to not help others, he says, no, that's null and void. It's our responsibility to care for those in need. And he says, but I wouldn't want you to miss, do not miss, that that compassion that you have within you comes from your relationship with me. He says, as you follow me, you become like me. You see that you are going to meet the others, but you, but you need to have this relationship with me. Then he looks at this crowd and he says, I don't want to leave you just with full bellies without missing this understanding, this deep reality of a relationship with Jesus. So what we find here is that there's this two-dimension peace taking place, that when we pray, we say, God, give us our daily bread, the bread that we need to survive. And when we have enough, command us, convict us, push us, that we would provide for the needs of those around us. And may we never miss out on the reality that the true nourishment of our lives comes in our relationship with you. That is how we pray this. So today, as we took communion, we were reminded, right, that all who come to this table come to experience the grace and the presence of Jesus. And in that moment, we remembered what Christ did for us, how he lives within us, how he sustains us as he lives in and through the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as God invites us to his table, this prayer reminds us to invite others to his table and to our own tables. So as we pray, give us today our daily bread, may we have a prayer in our own words of our own need, the need of others, and the need we have for God's presence in our lives. As we close, I wrote my own version of this prayer this morning. I invite you to do the same. And this is how I wrote it. Heavenly Father, give us this day the bread that we need 
And may we provide to those who have need. And may we all gather at the table, inviting anyone and everyone to come and sit as you provide for our deepest need, for your presence in our lives. Amen.